Hey there, you're listening to episode one of Let's Talk About It with Khadija Aman. In this episode, I chat with Native comedy writer Joseph Clift. We talk about mental health and Native American representation in the entertainment industry. We also talk about how he approaches fellow creatives when they say or do something that he feels is disrespectful to Native Americans. He's worked with companies like Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, and DreamWorks. So without further ado, I present to you episode one of Let's Talk About It with Khadija Aman. Enjoy! give a little bit of background about yourself and how you got your start? Um, hi, my name is Joey Clift. My path to becoming a comedy writer was uh, really like windy, I guess would be the right word for it. I grew up on the Tulalip Indian Reservation in Washington State. I'm a, an enrolled member of the Cowlitz Indian Tribe. And I knew growing up that I liked cracking jokes. Like I was always the type of person that like sat in the back of the class and would get in trouble for like making, you know, sarcastic comments and stuff. And uh, I wasn't sure like how to really turn that into a career. So the version of that that made sense to me was becoming like a small market weatherman. Cause like, if you watch like the local news, the weatherman is the person that's kind of allowed to crack jokes and things like that. So I went to college to be a weatherman at a place called Washington State University, the Edward R. Murrow College of Communication. And I did stand up, I hosted radio shows and I did a lot of college TV at the time. With my entire attitude being, this will give me on camera experience, which will help me become like a weatherman. And a college TV show that I wrote, produced, and co-starred in ended up winning like a National College Comedy Award, which was really crazy. And I thought to myself, oh, this trophy will look really cool on my news desk in like Post Falls, Idaho or whatever. And uh, all of my professors separately pulled me aside and said, hey, it's, it's very clear you should just do comedy. And they <laughs> gave me the push that I needed in just saying, hey, it's very clear that like this is the thing. This is the part of this you're passionate about. Be a comedian. You shouldn't become a weatherman to be to crack jokes. You should just be a comedy person. And they uh, really connected me with some alumni that lived down in Los Angeles and uh, kind of gave me my first assistant jobs and gave me a lot of like really good advice in working in the industry. So then I got involved in the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater community and worked really hard. And that kind of you know led to comedy writing jobs, different opportunities, and now I'm here. Can you talk a little bit about struggles? you faced to kind of get where you are today. You've done a couple of writing jobs and you have a manager now. Can you just give us a little insight into, you know, how challenging it was to get where you are? I think that for me, a lot of the challenge was really just out the gate, being made aware that it was okay for me to work in comedy. I'm like, uh, you know, not not sure who's like listening to this, but I'm I'm Native American and there aren't a lot of natives on television, so I didn't necessarily see anybody like me that was, you know, that I saw as like, you know, working television writers or like actors on TV or directors or anything like that. So because of that, I just didn't think that working in the industry was like for me. So really just my my first big challenge was even just accepting that this is a career that I could do. And then, I mean, after that, like I'm like, I'm a really hard worker, so like kind of once once I moved to Los Angeles and uh, crashed on my brother's couch for three years because he lived in Inglewood, very fortunately, mm-hmm. 
like anybody else, I'm not without uh, moments of like uncertainty. But when I first moved here, I didn't necessarily know uh, that I would get involved at UCB and then I would get on house teams and that would lead to you know jobs and other things. But like I've always just had the attitude of like, you know, if I work really hard and I'm nice to people, like things will come out of it. So like I said, like the first struggle was accepting that comedy is a thing that I could do. And then after that, it's just trying not to get terrified at the prospect of like, oh, I finished a job, don't know what I'm doing after this or whatever. Mm. You know, or just learning to kind of accept that that's what the life is. Yeah. I would agree. Being in the entertainment industry, there is that uncertainty when you finish a writing job or a directing job or, you know, or like anything. Any job. Yeah, like yeah. anything. But like you said, as long as you're nice and you do the work, you're probably not going to be waiting that long for your next gig. So yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it's it's also like putting yourself out there. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I've been somebody that I'm never really shy about like putting my work out there. Mm -hmm. So be it, you know, making a podcast or making a web series or something. A quote that like uh, an old producer I worked for always said is that like work leads to work. Mm. Getting involved in UCB stuff and posting, you know, every like a couple of times a week, like, hey, I've got a sketch show coming up this week or like, oh, doing an improv show this week or whatever. Mm -hmm. Eventually enough like old bosses that I was their assistant saw that and they said, oh, I'm looking for like a junior writer for the show. It's clear that Joey is doing a lot of writing, so let's bring him in to meet to talk yeah. about it, you know. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's just like, you know, work hard, be nice, yeah. do the work put it out there so people know that you're doing it and that you know knock on I'm not I'm in a room completely without any wood so <laughs> oh, there's, there's a podium there. <laughs> there's a podium over there I'm not going to knock on cuz that would be very inconvenient but uh, yeah you know I mean that's it's where it worked for me so yeah. far so that's good That's great. What do you think the biggest misconception about mental health in the industry is? I think that the biggest misconception about mental health in the industry is that everybody else is doing fine when that is very far mm -hmm. from the truth. I think that the, the industry works in such a way where everybody wants everybody else to think that they're doing incredibly well, right? Mm -hmm. Like y you want to kind of put forward a light of, you know, success and you're accomplishing things and you're doing cool stuff when, you know, that's just kind of like your forward-facing persona. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think for all of us, it's like our lives are all kind of messes <laughs> behind that. <laughs> We're all struggling with our own family drama, mental issues, depression, mm -hmm. moments of uncertainty and stuff like that. We might not necessarily post about that on social media. My experience is that like from somebody who's like a production assistant level just starting out to somebody that's like a showrunner that's been doing it for 20, 30 years, across the board, everybody's constantly terrified mm -hmm. and I think that that's that to me is the biggest like thought is that like everybody feels like they can't talk about their struggles because yeah. they want everybody to think they're doing great when like I mean I think that it's good to be open about the things that you're going through mm -hmm. like you know we don't always have to show this air of success at all times because like that's just it's like we're we're kind of judging ourselves by other people's highlight reels mm -hmm. is a term that I've heard a lot. Yeah. We'll assume that they're struggling alone when in actuality we're all kind of going through the same right. anxieties. We're all, exactly. you know, we all go to like, you know, weird industry mixers and we're like, <laughs> like oh, I don't want to talk to anybody because yeah. I don't know anybody. <laughs> like everybody goes through that. Yeah. You know? Do you feel like mental health is overlooked in the industry? And what are some things that people who don't necessarily struggle with depression or anxiety can do to help those who do struggle with those types of things? If you don't struggle with depression and anxiety, like, congratulations. <laughs> I mean... Or the ones who have, like, a better handle on it, but they're kind of keeping those secrets to themselves. Yeah. Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, I guess that for me, like, 
the, my thought on that is like be empathetic. Mm -hmm. I think that people that aren't experienced or afflicted with you know anxiety and depression like that might think like, oh, this person's got all of these writing jobs or all mm -hmm. these acting jobs. Like they're not allowed to be depressed. Right. And it's like, no, it's like a mental chemical imbalance. You could win an Emmy and still be very depressed. Mm -hmm. So I guess that my you know my advice to anybody that's like working a job and like people that you're with are going through stuff is like, yeah, be empathetic. And also, I think it's important. Like for me, therapy is very important. Mm -hmm. I think that being a listening ear is helpful, but at a certain point, if like it's clear that your friend is going through something or your coworker is going through something that you maybe don't have the most experience going through, it's not a, it's, especially in LA, it's not a bad word to say like, hey, you know, maybe like the therapy would be a good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that, that that to me is like, I feel like people look at mental health as like our mental illness is this romantic thing that's needed to create art. Mm -hmm. I feel like people are like, oh, like, you know, I'm super addicted to meth and that's mm -hmm. what leads to me being a good comedy writer. You don't have to sacrifice your happiness for what you perceive as being something you need for creativity. Right. And also, I feel like for me at least, like writing and creativity isn't like, you know, uh, like a dragon that needs to be slayed or mm -hmm. lassoed or whatever. It's like, it's a craft, like building a shelf, you know, yeah. or like building a house or being a carpenter. Yeah. So it's like, it's something where ultimately if you just do it enough, you get to a point where you, you can just do it at the drop of a hat. Because yeah. like, you know, if you have a deadline, you're writing on a TV show and you need a script by, you know, with by three hours from now or whatever, mm. and like your showrunners are waiting on you, you're not necessarily going to have time to like put on your finest like down bathrobe and like yeah, yeah. drink absinthe next to a fireplace. <laughs> you just gotta like open up Final Draft and get it done, yeah. you know? Uh, so like, yeah, I guess uh, don't look at like mental health as a necessity for your own creativity. Mm -hmm get therapy, yeah. take meds if you have to. <laughs> that w I promise that won't fuck up your creative process that right, much. Right. And it's worth it to be happy. Mm -hmm. I would agree. That's a good point. Just to see like all of the, like even the music industry, like I feel like that's where it's most like, oh, I'm super like fucked up. Let me use that in my music or let me create situations in my life that'll be newsworthy and to like, get the fame and get more music out there and that's definitely not like healthy. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't want to be in a point where it's like every time that you release a song you have to ruin your life. Right, exactly. Because I don't know, music and writing is cool but it's not that important. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so what motivates you to keep going no matter what? Like dealing with those times where you, you're not working necessarily, you're dealing with, you know, especially for me, like waiting to hear back. Like right. what? Like, is it yes or no? Like, so is there anything that you do to help that time go by a bit smoother? I mean, I know how that goes. I feel like every every person, like, working in any creative field knows how it goes. Email out a script to somebody and you're like, maybe this will be something cool or maybe it'll lead to nothing. And it's, I guess the way that I keep from going insane in those situations is I just work on a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. If I send out a treatment or a one-pager or a pitch or I'm, like, trying to get a meeting with somebody or whatever or I you know, submit a packet to a writing job or a script sample. I usually have a lot of other personal projects going on mm -hmm. that keeps me distracted from necessarily like having to worry about it. And that's like a bit of advice that like, you know, anybody submitting for jobs like, and uh, you know, like specifically like writing jobs and things like that. You wanna kind of send that email and then be in a position where you can forget about it. That way, if you get the job, it's more of a nice surprise as opposed to something that you were like really counting on. Yeah. And you know, sometimes it's tough to say that if your bank account's at zero or whatever. Yeah. But I think that, at least from an anxiety standpoint, it's useful to just 
you know, have other projects you're working on, have other people you're working with. Don't be in a position where you send the email and then you're just like, I have nothing else <laughs> but to look at this inbox yeah. for the next two weeks. Yeah. I feel like, like for me personally, I, I'm like working and I'm going home writing, I'm doing this. Yeah. And it's like, I'm still worried about this email or whatever phone call coming in. It's like really hard for me to focus on that. But I will have to take that advice of having multiple projects you're working on yeah. and like all that stuff. So like I think that it's tough working in an industry where like everything is dependent on gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, if you're submitting a script for, you know, a fellowship or a contest or a job, the gatekeeper for that is the company that's deciding who gets mm -hmm. the fellowship or whatever. And it's tough because it's kind of putting your your creative validation on somebody else's shoulders. That's why I like to work on projects that I'm kind of my own creative validator. Mm -hmm. So like this podcast is a great example mm -hmm. where it's like there's not like, you know, it's it's something that is entirely on you and you could work on this and like, you know, uh, unless the the whoever owns the internet sends you an email <laughs> and is like, Khadija, I'm sorry, you have to stop doing this podcast, uh, which I'm pretty sure won't happen. Yeah. Uh, be, I mean, if you did, I would like print out and frame that letter of like, in a world where 4chan exists, yeah. this is like, it's like, sorry, it's just isn't cutting mustard. But you know, um, yeah, it's just like work on stuff like this that like mm -hmm. where nobody can tell you that you can't do it. Exactly right. That way, when you are sending out for those things where it is like, you know, a showrunner is deciding if you're mm -hmm. hired on this or whatever. You can always have these things that like are kind of your own creative validator right. to go back to. Mm -hmm. That's like, it took me probably five, six years of living in LA before I like really realized that. And mm -hmm. since then, like my happiness level has gone through the roof. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> it just, you know, it makes it, it makes yeah. it easier. It makes yeah. it, it makes it, you, I'm less worried about this thing getting approved at this place or this thing selling to this place. Mm -hmm. Cause it's just like, while these things are going on, I've got this insane random side project that I can kind of keep myself occupied yeah. with that's also fun and fulfilling. And, and oftentimes those projects that you work on that don't have, where you're your own creative validator will lead to other jobs. Mm -hmm. Like that's happened to me a bunch. I'll submit for a job and then I won't get it. But then while I'm doing that, I'll do some crazy like, you know, internet comedy stunt or something. Mm -hmm. And then like six months later, the person that didn't give me that job will send me an email and say, hey, I saw this thing that got write-ups these places. We should meet and talk. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So it's just like that. I feel like Making your own stuff also kind of leads to, it, it opens up the gates a little bit yeah. easier. Do you have any stories about either you standing up against like prejudice against like natives in the industry or somebody that you've seen do that? Or have you seen any type of prejudice things happen to fellow natives in the industry? And like, you want to talk about that? Um, oh, yeah, I could, uh, let's see, uh, how to do this <laughs> without naming names. Um, uh, oftentimes, uh, I find myself being the first native that execs and development people and managers and agents and whatever meet with. Or like when I, uh, when I get hired for a job and I'm doing kind of the start paperwork where you, you know, give them forms of ID. Mm -hmm. um, one of the forms of ID that I always give is my tribal ID. Mm -hmm. And like usually the, every time that I do that, the quote that, that I will hear from the producer is, oh, wow, I've never seen one of those before. <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. like, that's something that used to make me feel special, and now it's sort of like, oh, you've been doing this for 20 years, and you've never hired a native right. before. Yeah. I think that being a rarity in the industry for a lot of reasons, and I, you know, I think that I touched on this earlier, but it's sort of the, like, oh, there aren't a lot of natives in the industry, so because of that, natives don't feel like they can work in the industry. 
So because of that, that leads to less natives right. working in the industry. Right. I would say that the worst case scenarios, usually people are pretty cool about it and it's like a side comment and mm -hmm. like they're like, oh, neat. But sometimes people will take this as the opportunity of like, oh boy, I haven't talked to a native person before, now to ask him every question. <laughs> I've uh, had meetings where the vast majority of the meeting is not spent talking about my writing or my pitch or whatever. The vast majority of the meeting is spent asking me questions like, can you say hello in your native language? Or, mm -hmm. hey, what's the biggest tribe? You're kind of treated like a museum piece mm -hmm. or like a curiosity and not like a writer right. or a human. And uh, that always sucks. It's just, you know, it's tough. It's tough being the first because stuff like that tends to happen. I mean, I would say more often than not, people are cool about it and understand that they're coming at it from a perspective of, you know, I guess ignorance or they just don't know a ton. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, you get kind of those like ones every once in a while where it's sort of like, they're like almost poking you with a stick. Mm -hmm. And then I think that the other thing, this is like a, specifically a comedy writing thing, is that I feel like um, among natives, Non-natives feel like they can define what isn't, isn't offensive to us. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that you see oftentimes with the Washington, D.C. NFL team that I won't name, where like people will say, like, you can't find mm -hmm. this offensive. Like, it's like our hair, you know, or yeah. they'll say, like, it's okay for us to say this racial slur. You know, you're being too sensitive mm -hmm. or whatever. So like a specific situation where that happened to me um, in a writer's room, a guy in the class brought in a sketch about Indian burial grounds and he's a non-native guy, and like, I'm not, you know, I understand that it's comedy and we're all kind of exploring our things. That, on a premise level, is like, oh, there's a way that that could be funny. Mm -hmm. But it was clear that this guy didn't really know anything about native people, and he specifically, in the, in the sketch, referred to Chief Tutankhamen or something like that, like, you know, King Tut from mm -hmm. Egypt. And I was like, my note for him was just, this won't make the sketch funnier but it would just make it like less offensive if you just Googled Native American chiefs and picked a real one. And his response, he like dug his heels in and he was like, no, it's fine how it is. And I was like, no, it's not. And he was like, who would care? And I was like, Native people. And he was like, well, I don't see any Native people in the room because I'm super white passing. Yeah. I pulled out my tribal ID card and set it in front of him and he shut up and uh, <laughs> the teacher immediately was like, we need to take a break for 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Those are probably the biggest things is like people being ignorant toward native issues and you know that kind of influencing how they treat us in a way that sucks. So it seems like when you run into these issues or like these little instances, you've been really speaking out. So like, would you encourage others to kind of speak out against that stuff? But it's, it's tough, it's like, yeah. I mean, uh, like a common a common thing that I'll hear is somebody in the office, or I'll hear somebody two hour two you know two offices over, you know, refer to something as their spirit animal, or mm -hmm. use the phrase like Indian giver or something like that. Especially as a comedy writer, it's like it's tough because you want to you don't want to be like a killjoy, you don't mm -hmm. want to be like the fun police. So there are a lot of times where stuff like that happens, and I just kind of have to let it slide. Mm -hmm. It's tough to find your moments to speak out. Mm -hmm. Uh, with like microaggressions like that. For me, it's like, it, it kind of depends on the level. If what they do is very offensive and it's clear they don't know any better, oftentimes what I'll do is send them kind of like a polite email like mm -hmm. a couple of days later, um, you know, kind of depending on what my like friendship level is with them or something like that. Um, like if there's somebody that I work with directly, then I'll probably like, you know, you know, send an email that's just like very, you know, kindly worded, but mm -hmm. like, hey, you know, just so you know, this is kind of maybe not the coolest thing to say to natives. Mm -hmm. Here's a couple of article links to things that describe <laughs> why that's not the best. Mm -hmm. 
and 100% of the time when I do that, people are super cool about it. And they're like, oh, I had no idea, and they apologize. But I mean, there are also a lot of times where you kind of just got to let stuff slide. This is probably the most passive aggressive way to go about it. But it's like, oh, if we get more native shows on TV, then maybe those shows can sort of teach people this for us right. so that like, if you're the first native working at this company, you don't necessarily have to like educate everybody mm -hmm. as to why the term spirit animal is weird for non-natives to use or mm -hmm. whatever. Ideally, the media would educate people about this mm -hmm. for us. Or uh, ideally, maybe these people will listen to this podcast and yeah. uh, feel real bad about it. <laughs> That's to say, if you want to scream at somebody for saying a lame thing about natives, uh, you have my permission to <laughs> go for it. Is there any advice you'd like to give our listeners who want to break into comedy writing and just don't know where to start or they fear that they're going to have to deal with these taboo topics we've been talking about today? Like anybody else, I'm not without uh, moments of like uncertainty, but you have to learn to like the uncertainty. Awesome. Thank you again for coming in. I like to end each interview with some fun questions. Yay. So here we go. If you could time travel to any time period, where would you go? I've always been a big fan of 1970s, 1980s hip hop. So I think that'd be really cool to time travel to like, you know, 1980s New York and mm -hmm. like just, you know, see a Run DMC Beastie Boys like early concert. Besides that, it would be really cool to time travel 300 years into the future and just see kind of like where, where we end up, you know? The very personal response to this is like, I was bullied a lot growing up. And, you know, like definitely suffered through depression a lot when I was like, uh, you know, elementary school, middle school. So I'd love to travel back to when I was a kid and just tell myself as a kid, like, it's going to be OK. Mm. So that's the, the less fun response to that. Uh, what movie or show can you quote from start to finish? Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is probably my uh, standout. It's just a movie that I really love growing up. I've seen it a bunch of times. I'm excited about <laughs> Bill and Ted 3. They're filming oh, it right yeah, now. Yeah. It's coming out soon. How long would you last in a zombie apocalypse? Uh, or how long do you think you would last? How long do I think I would last? I guess it depends on where I am when it happens. Because I'm, I'm a big fan of zombie media, so I've thought at length about <laughs> this. I think that in the, in the middle of Los Angeles, like if I was like, at a, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. If I was at a pro wrestling event mm. and zombies came through the door, I'd probably be effed because it's like, <laughs> oh, this is a big room full of people yeah. and like only so many exits. If it was a, uh, a situation where it's like I saw a news story about just like, oh, there's all these biting attacks, mm. you know, like and I kind of had some level of like forward planning, then I think I would be, I think my apartment is very defensible. So I think I would be okay. But I also don't have any food backups. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like, if I have enough prep to like go get a bunch of canned food and whatever, I feel like my apartment would be a very good defensible location for zombie purposes. <laughs> cool. So like, I'm gonna say I would last two years, maybe longer, depending on what kinds of zombies these, these are. Okay. Like if they, if, if they rot, if after a year they're all decomposed <laughs> and I have to worry about them, then forever. <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like I would do well in the early going. Okay. Hey, how about you? How long do you think you'd last? Oh, no. I Probably not long. <laughs> I mean, I think I would do really good in the first, like, 10 coming at me, but then after that, it's like... Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. also, like, I weigh, like, 130 pounds and I'm 5'10", <laughs> and I'm very weak and do not know how to fight. So it's like, I'm basing it on more of my ideal right, of, right, right. like... Of like, oh, as somebody who's read a lot of zombie comic yeah, books yeah, yeah. and has watched every Walking Dead episode, <laughs> uh, like... But it's also, like... Oh yeah, if there was like one zombie coming at me, I'd probably like 
immediately get bit and die. <laughs> no, I just like aim straight for the head, you know, as as they do. Yeah. Zombie movies. Um, but I, I feel know. like a skull would be like hard to bust through. So it's That's like, and true. I'm like not very strong. That's so it's true. like. You know, it's like I could probably take out one if I had like a kitchen knife because that's like you could just like go for it. But like if, if I had like a baseball bat, my arms would get tired very quickly. Yeah, that's very true. So, yeah, 20 years. I'd survive 20 years. <laughs> Anywhere from three minutes to 20 years. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Thank you again for coming and chatting with me. And I hope people are inspired by this interview and have learned something today. That concludes episode one of Let's Talk About It with Khadija Aman. Did you enjoy the episode? What was your favorite part? Tweet me your thoughts at underscore Khadija Aman and use the hashtag Let's Talk About It so I can see it. You can also follow me on Instagram at Let's Talk About It 20. Hope to see you there. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to subscribe for weekly episodes every Thursday. Bye.